0: Hello everybody, welcome back to another edition of the Tell It Is podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. I am your host as always, Griffin Youngs, and I hope you have enjoyed your week so far up to this point as we get closer and closer to the beginning of the season every single day. And you know, you wouldn't believe me if I told you, but I am quite tired. It is not the beginning of the semester until you truly feel that exhaustion for the first time. I know, I know you know what I'm talking about. You get home from work, you get home from school after waking up early and putting in the work, you sit down and you just feel that dumbbell weighing down on your brain. You know, we all get to that point and It's always much earlier than we think it's going to be. It's been what, two weeks into the semester? Get, I have to get up early a couple times a week, which is much more than I'm used to. And you know, you feel it. After a little while, but nevertheless, we push on because, believe it or not, we have Avalanche stuff to talk about. That's not speculation or PTOs because Avalanche players that they own the rights to are on an ice surface doing stuff. It's not training camp yet. No, it is the preseason to Training camp, which is a preseason to the preseason. So we're really at a preseason to the preseason of the preseason before the regular season. That's right, of course. I am talking about development camp, where the Avalanche rookies and prospects get together for a couple days before traveling out to Arizona for the prospect tournament. And we have just concluded day three of development camp. Also, we have more avalanche jersey stuff to talk about because apparently they felt the need to change the jerseys again for some reason. And to be frank, they don't look good. But we'll get into all of that in due time. Let's start with the development camp. Now I'm going to be straight with you guys. There is quite frankly no way for me to watch development camp unless I would to buy a plane ticket to Colorado and go watch it. In person because for some reason they don't like stream these they don't make these accessible for the average fan to watch so I've had to gather information from people who are far more connected than I am to just gather a general Consensus of how the three days went and how the overall four on four scrimmage from yesterday ended up Going and the general consensus that I have seen is that Alex Newhook and Bo Byram are well above this tournament They are ready to play. This is merely a tune-up they are leaps and bounds ahead of everybody they are NHL players they are going to be making the roster out of camp this is merely a formality for them and like I said just a tune-up especially for Bo Byram and that was the plan for him coming into this from the beginning you know he plays a good amount of games last season he's getting better every game and then he deals with injuries he deals with COVID he never steps into another game after taking that high hit against Vegas late in the season. So I mean, at a certain point he just hadn't played a ton of hockey in the last 365 days. And that was the I mean that was the concern for him coming into last season is that he just hasn't played a ton of games outside of the World Juniors and we needed to get him up to speed again and that's kind of what we're doing this time but luckily we have the development camp and the training camp for him to go through and the preseason before we get to the regular season but he was outstanding through all three days and a dominant force in the four-on-four scrimmage the same with Alex Newhook he's ready to go there is no question about that he is ready to go and I have very high expectations for him, and it's it's I'm not drawing that from three practices and a four-on-four four scrimmage, but by all accounts and by everything we've seen from him last season and just the few showings he's shown so far, you can, you can tell the players that are ready, he's ready to go. He, he might get into one of the, the tournament games in Arizona, but... That's probably it. No reason to risk him getting injured before training camp. This is just to get him up to speed before he auditions for that second-line spot in training camp. Newhook also had some words to say after camp, saying that he thinks it's a great experience and a great opportunity to be involved with the rookie camp to get his legs under him, as well for everybody else to get comfortable with being in Denver and with the altitude to get back in game shape and his goal is to make the opening night roster, and that's what his mindset is at camp, is to make an impression and establish himself early on, as well as to help the younger guys in their first camps, even though it kind of is his first camp, and being around the organization and helping some of the younger guys is a big part of it for him too, and this really is his first rookie camp, so it's, it's good to see that he's already taken some form of of leadership here as well but the the, the expectation coming in is that new is was going to dominate this and so far through the three practices and with the four on four scrimmage he's far and away the best player on the ice he is fully ready i mean he's he's getting to a point like on the ice that he's not even trying to shoot he's trying to pass the puck around and not shoot unless he absolutely has no choice which took place a couple times during the scrimmage for him, but to be quite frank, him and Byram are above this tournament. This is well below their their skill levels. But like New Hook said, this is to to get in shape for the most part and get back to game speed and importantly to get reacclimated to the altitude of Denver, which is something that gets overlooked a lot with the Avalanche. I think I think we take that for granted a lot is dealing with the altitude especially for younger newer players I think that's something that you need to pay attention to but the interesting thing is that Newhook is playing in this development camp as a center and we're all expecting Newhook to be playing on the wing to be beginning the season and it seems like they're still committed to developing him as a center which is a great idea absolutely they need to be doing that and he'll probably be seeing some time as a center during the regular season as well maybe in a fourth line role in days like Comfer is taking that wing spot on the second line I mean I'm, I'm making a lot of assumptions here before training camp even begins but I'm, I'm assuming that Newhook's going to make the team and probably be playing those top six minutes but the idea is that he is a center and development camp here he's still going to be developing as a center it's harder to play center than play wing it's easier for centers to move over to the wing than otherwise and we still have to remember that Kadri is still expiring after this season and if Kadri leaves we're going to need a replacement and this is basically what new hook is going to be auditioning for in this upcoming season is how much emphasis needs to be placed on signing Nazem Kadri this offseason. If Newhook absolutely performs and shows that he is ready for top six minutes in the NHL, it makes Kadri a bit more expendable and that you don't have to sign him to a big raise. You can keep Newhook on his ELC and spend that cap elsewhere. So interesting to see that that's the path they're taking with him at development camp, not at all a surprise. It's absolutely what they should be doing and it'll be an interesting thing to watch to see just how many times this season he is going to be playing as a center. I imagine it's going to be at least a couple times during the year. Even if it's just at, in a fourth line center role, we'll still get a pretty good idea of what he'll be capable of. And this is a kid that's going to grow a lot. I mean, he already looks this good now. He he looks ready to play in the NHL immediately. Last season, and he's shown even just in these practices that, like I said, this is well, well below his skill level, and that he is capable of so much more. And still, he's going to keep growing every single season and only keep getting better. So I'm excited to see what Newhook can do in this upcoming season if this incredibly small sample size of development camp is any indication to go off of, but. While those two are very clearly ready, there is one first-round pick that is not, and that is Oscar Olison. He's, he's not ready, and no one expected him to be ready. Let's make that clear. This is not a disappointment or that this guy is a bust. It's just he's 18 going up against far older players that have experience playing against men in the NHL, and Olsen is used to playing in the OHL, And is again only 18 years old, and he was getting pushed around a little bit. He still made some things happen. He scored in the shootout, and he wasn't horrible. But you could see that he's just not at that point yet. So he will obviously be going back to play with the Barry Colts and be a dominant force in the OHL this season. And like I said when we drafted him, we're probably not seeing Olausen for several years down the line. He's a good prospect, and I like what he can bring to the table, especially on the wing. And I like the fact that he was here to begin with. I mean, he's from what I remember, he's the only player from this draft class to be participating in a rookie tournament. This season which which says something it shows that the Avalanche believe in him and the expectation like I said was not for him to come in here and be as good as New Hook or even as good as Sample Ranta who we'll talk about later it was to for him to get a feel of the organization for the organization to get a feel of him for him to just begin to get acclimated into the environment and just see what he can do and we saw that just not there yet and you know what we still have a lot more to see from him in the upcoming rookie tournaments he's still getting minutes in these in these tournaments from what I remember he's playing on the the first line with new hook and he's bouncing back and forth between them but yeah he's not being in the AHL he's definitely not playing in the NHL this year he's going back to the OHL to go with the Barry Colts and he's going to have a really good season and we'll see where we stand with him next season. There's nothing lost here. It's an 18 year old kid who's still got a lot of growing to do and he's going to make those strides and I believe he's going to be in the NHL eventually. So I have no concerns. If anything, I'm encouraged that he was here to begin with and that he's already getting that valuable developmental experience. So moving on now to some of the other prospects through the first few days. One of the, the guys that has impressed me a lot ever since we drafted him and impressed me a lot over the last few days and is quickly becoming one of my favorite prospects on the team. That is John Luke Foody. I love this kid. And the only question for him now is whether he goes back to the AHL to continue to play with the Eagles or if he's going to go back to the OHL to get more playing time with the Windsor Spitfires, and honestly, I have no problem either way. For those of you who don't remember, John Luke Foody was a third-round pick for us in the 2020 draft, 75th overall. He is an outstanding skater, one of the best skaters of that draft class, and he has just continued to impress more and more ever since we drafted him. He has quickly climbed our prospect list, and he found his way into the AHL last season, played 34 games, and put up 14 points, and continues to impress here so far at development camp, playing second line behind Newhook, third at second line center. And already he seems to be ahead of schedule and could be something in the NHL sooner than later. Not this season, but maybe the season after that. We could start to see Foodie maybe get some cracks in NHL and he's only 19 and he's definitely someone that I want to keep an eye on in the future and especially just over the next three games for the, the rookie tournament I want to see what he can do I'm very excited to see what he can bring to the table and the last guy that's really worth talking about here is Shane Bowers or at least on offense he was playing pretty well he looks like he's bulked up a lot I was one, that's been one of the complaints against him is that he seems to get pushed around a bit, not anymore. He seems to have bulked up a lot, and he is taking getting an NHL opportunity this season very seriously because if he doesn't get one this season, then more likely than not, he might get traded. I mean, we all remember Bowers was a part of the Matt Duchesne trade that came over from Ottawa with Sam Girard, and obviously the same trade that we got Bo Byram in. He was one of the big prospects that came along with it. He just hasn't gotten... A crack in the NHL yet, and now has got to be the time for him. He's been very solid in the AHL, and last year wasn't great for him, but he looks like he is raring to go this season. If he doesn't get a crack in it this year, Like I said, probably going to get traded. And I imagine the team that identifies him and trades for him is probably going to do a little bit of a better job with him. And he's probably going to turn into a pretty solid player down the line for them. So I hope that he can figure it out and work his way into the lineup this season. Because, like I said, this looks like it might be his last opportunity to get a crack with the avalanche because if it's not going to be with us it's probably then going to have to end up being with somebody else and you never want to be on the bad side of one of those deals where you give up on a prospect he goes somewhere else and he makes it big because I think that he's not he's not a star he's not going to come in and break the game open or anything but I think he can be a useful player I think he just needs an opportunity and he's ready to go this season so Another guy to keep an eye on as development camp winds down, and especially during training camp, and even as the season rolls on, if there's injuries that start to pile up, keep an eye out for Shane Bowers to to join the squad sooner than later, because he's going to have to deserve it at this point. When While Martin Kaut isn't here at the development camp, same goes for him as well. Him and Bowers are kind of in the same spot, that they are starting to to run out of time on their development path. And if the Avalanche have too many players blocking them, they could be players that we see get packaged at the trade deadline. Because if the Avalanche are going to go buying at the trade deadline, they do not have their first or second round pick to shop with. It's going to have to be digging into your prospect pools or the 2023 draft. And Cowton Bowers are going to be valuable players and if they do want to upgrade this team then they those are probably going to have to be guys that go the other way in deals unless they can crack the nhl lineup and prove that they are valuable players not even just now but next season as well and before i move on i should bring up sampo ranta who scored a goal in the four on four looks like he is delivering on the hype for him coming in rambo santa my other favorite prospect For the team, big wild card, I think, for this upcoming season. If he does impress in this development camp and in training camp, he could get a lot more time than we expect this season, or he could just stick around in the AHL this season and just continue to develop. We don't really know with him at the moment. I don't really have a ton of insight on him at the moment, but that's about all I have on the first three days of development camp so far we'll check back in after the prospect tournament has concluded with a little more information and right before training camp begins so moving on now i did want to continue on alex newhook and bo byram and talk about what are their chances to win the calder this season because to me it seems like the race is just about wide open there's no real clear cut favorite like there is in some years. Last year, it was it was pretty clearly going to be Kaprizov right from the get-go, but this year, it seems like it is a pretty wide-open race. There's a couple names in there. Cole Caulfield, Trevor Zegras are the two favorites, and deservedly so. They're very good prospects, but Caulfield, I think, also comes from the fact that he was pretty good in the playoffs, and so that's just... Maybe a little bit of recency bias talking there. And Trevor Zegras, I'm very impressed with. Other guys like Spencer Knight are on there too. But both Newhook and Byram are not the favorites, but they're definitely in there as well. I think it would be hilarious if Bo Byram actually wins the Calder this season. How hilarious would it be to have two Calder-winning defensemen on the same team and then eventually have them playing on the same pair? I mean, that just wouldn't be fair at a certain point to have McCar and Byram on the same pair, and you look at the odds for the Calder this upcoming season. Cole Caulfield, is, again, this is looking at DraftKings sports book. Cole Caulfield at plus two twenty five, Trevor Ziegris at plus five hundred, Spencer Knight at plus eight hundred, and at fourth, Alex Newhook is tied with Maurice Cider at plus one thousand, and Bo Byram is tied with Nick Robertson and Shane Pinto at plus. 2000. Now I got to say those are some pretty solid odds. If Alex Newhook impresses in training camp and breaks into that top 6 role beside Kadri and Burakovsky and delivers, absolutely he is going to be in the running for the Calder this season. If he is if he delivers on the hype that we have for him, no reason for him to not be a finalist for the Calder. This upcoming season and especially team success and we're expecting some team success for the avalanche this season obviously that can end up being a tiebreaker as well and you look at some of his competition Cole Caulfield it does not look like Montreal is going to be very good this season Trevor Zegras is on the Ducks who are going who are going to be terrible that's not really a question the Ducks are going to suck they're not trying to be good at all Honestly, I would say Spencer Knight is the biggest competition, because I think Florida is going to be really good, and I think Spencer Knight is going to be a huge part of that this season. To be quite honest, Spencer Knight's my prediction to win the Calder this upcoming season for the reasons I just listed. I think he's going to be a huge part of Florida being really good. I think he's just going to have a really good season, because otherwise they're going to have to rely on Bobrovsky, and we've seen how that goes. So... Knight taking over the starting job in Florida, and I think Florida is going to be one of the better teams in the league this season. So honestly, at plus 800, I'd put money on Spencer Knight to win that because starting goalie is just gets a little more credence than second-line winger. But Newhook, if he gets that top six spot, the door is wide open for him. And I was, I was a little curious about... Their rookie statuses because they both played games last season it's they both played under 25 games last season so they're both still rookies and playoffs does not matter as we all know McCarr made his debut against Calgary in the 2019 playoffs and he played for full two rounds and still won the caller the next season so they are both still rookies and with Byram I think it's a little tougher new hook because new hook just has like a top six job opening just waiting for him and as i've talked about on the past on the show is that the the avalanches defense has kind of has a block right now of just three very elite players in mccarr gerard and taze and the best byram can hope for this season is to crack the top four and to be the fourth guy on the pecking order there but might be a little tough for him to get Calder consideration behind those guys. I mean, maybe he'll just be outstanding in that spot and get Calder consideration anyway. But winning it, I think, is a little more of a challenge for him than Newhook because it's going to be tough for him to get a ton of attention and play a ton of minutes behind those three guys, especially power play and penalty kill. He might not get the same substance of opportunities that Newhook could get that could come with a top six role like power play time for Newhook so if I had to pick one to bet on it would be Newhook but Newhook's odds are plus 1,000 and Byram's are plus 2,000 so if you feel confident about Byram putting a bet on him on DraftKings Sportsbook is not at all a bad idea and just the odds themselves I think they're fair Caulfield I don't think is going to win I think he's going to be very good again Spencer Knight I think is going to win it because I really like Florida this season and I think Spencer Knight performed very admirably at the end of the season and against Tampa Bay in the playoffs and I don't think there's a ton of tape on him yet I mean I've talked about it before you don't have a ton of tape on goalies sometimes and you can't figure out how to beat them I'm suspecting that's going to happen With Knight this season, but again, if Newhook can get in there and crack that second line, play really well with Kadri and Burakovsky, and put up a really solid rookie season and provide valuable depth scoring to McKinnon, Rantanen, and Landeskog, he'll definitely get some consideration. I mean, just how generally unfair is it that we even get to have this conversation? That we can talk about two guys in the same season that have. Pretty realistic Calder Trophy odds. While we're two years removed from Kale McCarr winning the the Calder just two years ago in twenty twenty, it's ridiculous. It's unfair. We've done such a good job at drafting in the last few years, and I, I guess McCarr and Byron were fourth overall picks. But you still got to give credit for Byram because that is. A trade, they got Ottawa's first round pick for Matt Duchesne that led to Bo Byram, So you still have to give management credit for that and acquiring that pick at all. And Newhook was a mid first round pick. Sometimes you miss on those. You look around at the the players that were picked around him during that time. I mean, they definitely hit on this one. I mean, him and him and Caulfield are kind of tied at the hip because Caulfield went 15, Newhook went 16. Actually, now that I think about it, that'll be a very interesting race to watch this upcoming season if Newhook does indeed make that top six role. To see him and Caulfield go toe-to-toe for the Calder could be a very interesting storyline to follow, especially if Newhook wins, because then we get to say that Montreal was wrong and they should have picked Newhook and we got the better player. But getting back to my point, the next pick was Peyton Krebs. For Vegas, who is a good player, he was dealing with injuries at the time during the draft. I think he, like, tore his Achilles or something crazy like that, and he was, like, limping up to the stage to put on the Vegas jersey. Thomas Harley, Lassie Thompson, Vili Hainola. I mean, these are pretty solid players. Samuel Poulin, Tobias bjorn Simon Holmstrom, and Connor McMichael a few picks later for the Capitals is a home run for them. But Newhook might turn out to be one of the best players of this draft, so... I'm very interested to see the Calder race this season. I'm excited to see that the Avalanche have more players in it again just like the Makar race from a few years ago. It's a, the Calder race is always very exciting because you only you only get one shot at it. you can only win the Calder once. In your career. When like McCarr lost out on the Norris last season, and I wasn't bothered by it because I know he's going to win plenty of them in his career. But if he lost out on the caller to Quinn Hughes, that's something you can't get back. You can only win Rookie of the Year once. It's something you can only add to your resume once. You get one shot at it. If you don't win it, you can never win it again. So I'm glad that he got it. And I hope that these two can get it, just because it's it'd be hilarious to have two calder winning players in the last two out of the last three years on the same team along with nathan mckinnon and cave Skog, who both won rookie of the year in their own right just the avalanche they, they produce calder winners so i'm hoping we can continue that trend again this season it's just the one problem i have with new hook and byram it has nothing to do with them at all it's how they're going to be dressed this upcoming season because the pictures have been released of the Avalanche's new road jerseys. How are they different, you ask? Well, they're not really that different. The only difference is that the numbers on the back are now blue. And I gotta say, these are ugly. That seems to be the general agreement all around is that these are ugly, but I, I mean it. These are ugly. They do not look good at all. I don't I don't know why we keep picking at these. Stop picking at the jerseys. If you want to change the jerseys, change them. What is with this trend over the last few years where we have just screwed with the jerseys, like just a little bit every single time. Last year it was the blue pants which didn't look good. They stuck out and they looked weird and now we're changing the numbers on the back to blue. And the thing is is that there is not a single part of it that looks good. It sticks out on the jersey. It's right underneath the burgundy nameplate and the burgundy shoulder pads and right above the the burgundy stripe at the bottom. So it's the only blue on the jersey. It sticks out like a sore thumb. And when I first saw it, I thought it would at least match the pants. No, it's a different shade of blue. So it doesn't even match the pants. The pants are like a darker navy blue this is like a light blue it's it's kind of noticeable maybe in this picture of sample ranta maybe it's just the lighting and maybe they actually are the same shade of blue but from this picture it doesn't look like it is and that's a big problem because it is really ugly and and there there wasn't anything wrong with the black number what why are we doing this it would honestly look better if it was a burgundy number. If the 75 on Sample Ranta, like the picture is here from Aesthetics, was burgundy or just black. I don't know why we feel the need to, to change this all the time. Is it just to force people to buy new jerseys because the one they have now is technically outdated? Because if it is, that's not a great business practice. And two, it's just ugly. I don't want to wear that. If I was to buy a away jersey, I'd buy an old one. I so I really hope that this is not what we're taking into the season. Just slowly removing black from all of our uniforms, like we like we took like we used to have the black pants and now they're blue, and it just doesn't look good. We have the blue gloves, and not that I don't like the blue of the Avalanche, it just they I feel like they gotta commit to something. I don't like these slow small changes every single year. Like, if you're going to change it, change it. Change it all at once. Don't change it once every year, put the blue gloves and the blue pants and now a blue number. It just it doesn't look right. It looks off. It, there's too much going on, and it just makes the jersey look messy. There's no organization to it. I would like it if there was burgundy and maybe a little bit of blue trim on there but the number just it doesn't work for me maybe you replace like the gray stripe with blue no no I I don't think that would work I just don't understand the reasoning for it it's not even a particularly nice looking shade of blue like I said it doesn't even match the pants so every part of it just sticks out and why, why do they keep screwing this up? All you got to do to not screw it up is just not touch it. No one didn't like the jersey. They were good jerseys, and now they're, now they're just ugly. And there's no re- there's no reason for them to be ugly. They were fine before. They were fine before the blue pants. They were fine before the blue number. Just bring it back, or at least stop changing it. Or if you are going to change it, just commit to changing it. Just pick a lane and stick to it. Because the Avalanche have produced some pretty good blue jerseys before. You look at some of their old alternate jerseys and some of the ones they have now. The blue ones are actually very pretty and very beautiful. But it only looks good when you commit to a bit. Just commit to one. If it's going to be burgundy, make it burgundy. If it's burgundy and black, make it burgundy and black. If it's burgundy and blue, make it burgundy and blue. Stop Picking at it and nitpicking the little details like is next season the nameplate gonna be blue is the bottom stripe gonna be blue or is it gonna be burgundy next year like pick one and stop picking at it stop picking the scab just leave it alone leave it alone so that's all I have to say on that like I I just don't get the the phasing out of the black I know some people don't like black on uniforms because it's too cliche and boring, but it just, it makes it look more organized. The Avalanche have a very, very beautiful color scheme in my opinion. I love the burgundy and blue. The Avalanche logo itself is a perfect example of that. It's a perfect balance of burgundy blue trim with a white background. It looks very nice. It's very nice to look at. It's easy to decorate. Burgundy, I just think is a very nice color and you mix it with that blue. It just looks very nice. Blue, burgundy, and white should not be this hard to get right. And the thing is, it's not like they didn't get it right before. So I don't understand why we're doing this. Just leave it. Leave it alone. Stop picking at it. I don't understand why we keep doing this. And because there's just no need to. Stop. Stop picking at the jerseys. Leave them alone. And the home jerseys... Look great. I love our home jerseys. I think they're one of the, the prettiest in the league. You got the bur- you got the burgundy base with the blue at the top and bottom with the gray trim. And you go back to our road jerseys now. It's the white base with the burgundy top and bottom. And now you're just randomly throwing blue in there. And I, j- I just don't understand it. You got the home jersey right. The, all of the numbers and the nameplates are white. And the burgundy background mixes nicely with the logo. The blue is not intrusive. It's not too bright. And the away jerseys, it's its just a hodgepodge of garbage. The blue does not work. It doesn't mix well with the other colors. And like I said, it just makes it look messy. And I just it doesn't make any sense because they nailed the home jerseys. And they stopped picking at it. They just leave them alone. And our alternate jerseys, the the dark blue with the white and burgundy, are beautiful. And the reverse retro with the blue numbers was really nice. It was really nice because the blue wasn't overpowered by the burgundy. And it was a mainly white jersey with splashes of burgundy on the wrists, the bottom, and on the sleeves. The numbers were blue. But the nameplate was burgundy. And the outline was also burgundy. And they did the burgundy with the blue outline on these jerseys. And same with the nameplate. But it just doesn't work with the top and bottom of the jersey being burgundy. I've said burgundy so many times. It doesn't sound like a word anymore. But I just don't get it. It doesn't look good. Stop picking at it. Just leave it alone. Stop changing it every year. Just leave them alone. You have good jerseys. They look nice. You have a nice color scheme. Just stop ruining it. No one complained about it. No one cared. But anyway, moving on from the weirdness of the jerseys now, I wanted to talk about some drama that's going on in the the Central Division with the Minnesota Wild and Kirill Caprisov, but first we do have to take a break and get a word from our sponsor, DraftKings Sportsbook. Hey everybody, hope you're enjoying the episode so far. Interrupting to tell you that the Teledabs It Is podcast is sponsored by DraftKings Sportsbook. Week one may be over, but the season's just getting started at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. To kick off week two, DraftKings is giving new customers $200 in free bets instantly when they bet $1 on any football game. That's right. Head to the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and place a bet of $1 on any week two game to receive $200 in free bets instantly. And if DraftKings is not yet available in your state, DraftKings still has huge cash prizes up for grabs. All season long with their daily fantasy contests. And DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN to receive $200 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any football game. That's promo code THPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only, minimum $5 deposit, and $1 wager required, one per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or an Indiana 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Now, back to the episode. So I wanted to talk about the Minnesota Wild and Kirill Kaprizov and the update that's gone on with him, and I figure now is as good a time as any to tell you who the guest is going to be for this week's Central Division Rundown. It is going to be the guys at the SodaPod podcast to talk about the Minnesota Wild and what to expect out of them this upcoming season. So we'll get into the Kaprizov situation far more with them. This will just be a general update to update you on what's going on with them since Minnesota is kind of our biggest rival and from last season and coming into this season and Kaprizov's kind of a big deal and basically Michael Russo dropped another bomb on the athletic saying that the Kirill Kaprizov contract talks have gone silent again and Bill Guerin admits that there are some obstacles to be overcome before he can be re-signed and Russo opens the article saying we've hit a critical juncture in the contentious, once again, silent contract negotiations between Kirill Kaprizov and the Minnesota Wild. Getting to a quote later on, there are going to be some obstacles in exasperated-sounding Garen admitted to The Athletic on Monday night, and probably the biggest portion of the article saying it's looking more and more probable that, at a minimum, Kaprizov won't be on the ice when the Wild open training camp on September 23rd This is something that has been happening for all offseason now. I think I have brought this up at least four times at this point. He signed that tentative 10 million dollar deal with CSKA Moscow as like either like a backup plan or as pressure uh, a little earlier in the offseason and this has been one of the most this has been the most interesting RFA negotiation to come out of this offseason, and by the time it's done, it could very well change the the face of RFA negotiations, and he's not even the only guy still on the market right now, in the RFA market. Kaprizov, obviously number one, Quinn Hughes, Brady Kachuk, Rasmus Dahlin, Kyler Yamamoto, Elias Pettersson, and Robert Thomas are all still unsigned and obviously Kaprizov is far and away the most interesting of all of them because he's had very interesting rumors to come out of him with this negotiation that he is asking for a shorter term deal so that he can maximize his earnings with unrestricted free agency even though Minnesota has offered him about $9 million for the maximum term, and he has turned it down. And now it seems like the rumor is they're talking about $9 million for five years to take him straight to unrestricted free agency. Just what a fascinating scenario to follow. And we, we've all got fantasy drafts upcoming soon. I just took over a keeper league here at the Hockey Podcast Network, and the team I took over has Kaprizov on it. And I'm wondering if I should keep him. And looking ahead at mock drafts and everything for the upcoming season for regular leagues, I'm wondering if Kaprizov is even worth drafting. Because it looks like we're headed for another William Nylander situation from a few years ago where he sat out until December. And I'm not entirely certain that he's going to sign at all. I mean, this is, I've never seen a situation like this before, ever. And the article goes on to state basically what I just said earlier is that the Wild have offered Kaprizov a variety of terms around nine million dollars per year which would be the largest cap hit in Wild history and a very large cap hit for somebody who has only played 55 games in the NHL And granted they were a very good 55 games but it's only 55 games nonetheless that's a ton of money to be sinking into one player I mean for perspective, Miko Rantanen, who, as we know, is very good and is going to emerge as one of the best goal-scoring wingers in the league this season, makes $9.25 million on a six-year contract. And Kaprizov, after 55 games, is probably going to be getting somewhere in that window. Now, granted, Kaprizov is not your typical only played 55 games in the NHL. He's played plenty of years in Russia, and... He scored the, the gold medal clinching goal for Russia in the Olympics. He's won championships with CSK Moscow, been named MVP. He's been very good in professional hockey. He's been in professional hockey for a long time. And I am just very fascinated to see how this will go. I'm very fascinated to see what Isha and State of Hoppy says on the, the Soda Pod podcast when I have them on record on Sunday when the episode releases on Monday I'm very interested to see their take on the situation and what is really going on here and if if this is going to carry over into the season because one of the things that Russo brings up in this article is that even if Kaprizov signs right now he still has to get tested for COVID he has to get a work visa to travel to the United States And he probably has to quarantine for at least seven days before he'll be allowed inside the facility. And that training camp opens in, by the time you're listening to this, a week for them. It opens on the next Thursday. So it'll be a week before training camp opens. So at very least, he's not going to be there for the beginning of training camp. He's not even in the country. He's still in Russia at the moment. So... Again, this is going to be something that's going to probably carry into the season, and unfortunately for Minnesota, and maybe fortunately for the rest of the the Central Division. I mean, this is definitely something for the Avalanche to keep an eye on as well. I don't think we I don't think we actually see the Wild for a little bit now. I mean, we're not going to see him in any of the exhibition games we have against them. We play the Wild twice, I think, back to back on September 30th and October 4th. Yeah. We play them back-to-back. So we see, actually, we do see Minnesota in October, the last game of October on the 30th. We will host them for the first time at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. A good chance Kaprizov is not playing in that game. So this is going to be a situation to the entire league to be keeping an eye on. I mean, I talk about it all the time. Minnesota has gone from the least noteworthy team to probably one of the most exciting teams in the NHL for kind of all the wrong reasons right now I mean this is this is one of the most interesting negotiations I've ever seen I'm fascinated to see how this will go I think they will get him signed but I just don't know what, it's not like there's they're skimping out on the money or not giving him the term that he wants It's like this is not a Landisgog situation where we're shorting him on term and he thinks he's worth more like they're they're giving him Kaprizov very fair offers and he just doesn't want him he is fully committed to betting on himself to be in that position to turn down five years of security about eight years of security at nine million dollars per is a ballsy move man i mean full respect to him if he pulls this off but if he gets the contract he wants he gets a shorter term deal and he gets hurt it's just that's not a risk that i don't think is very smart like you you never know what the future can hold and obviously if everything works out for him he's going to be one of the highest paid players in the NHL when he once he gets that second contract but you can you can never predict what's going to happen on a day by day basis you can just be skating hit a divot in the ice and tear your Achilles you can block a sh- you can have a sh- a shot ricochet off of someone's stick hit you in the face and break your face like you ne- you never know I mean, to turn down eight years of security at $9 million a season, which is, like I said, already the highest cap hit in Wild history and puts him in pretty respectable company in terms of cap hits for wingers. I hope he knows what he's doing here, and I hope his agent is really giving him some good advice here. And again, like nine times five, that's a very fair. Does he really want that three-year deal I mean, it's smart and it has the potential to work out for him, but it has one hell of a risk he is gambling on here. And like like let's say he does go back to Moscow, who says he who says he doesn't get hurt in Russia next year? Like there's just so many risks at play for him here and I am fascinated to see how this will go and if Minnesota is gonna bend to him or if they're just getting tired of this shit at this point they took it took them five and a half years to get him over here they drafted him in 2015 he was drafted before Rantanen and it took forever for him to get him here and he finally gets here it's in a pandemic shortened season with no fans he's everything they could have hoped for and now they're in this ridiculous negotiation with him where they're they're offering him what he wants just not at the the shorter term ironically enough that he wants and now he's being difficult about that too I imagine they are so frustrated right now and they obviously want him they're not going to be like okay fuck you Kirill we're cutting you loose no they're gonna do whatever it takes to keep him but I I imagine that they are so done with this crap and they just want Kaprizov on the team who wouldn't he's really good and he's going to be really good for several years down the line but i can't wait to see what the guys at the soda pod say about it when i talk to them for monday's episode but as for this edition of the teledabs podcast i think that is going to do it so thank you very much once again for tuning in. I really do appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. I say it every episode, but I can never say it enough. Just how much I appreciate you all listening time after time again. Even though you don't have to. And there are podcasts like DNVR and other stuff with insiders and stuff like that that you can listen to. The fact that you choose to to s- stick it out here with me, it, it means something to me. It really does. I truly do appreciate it from the bottom of my heart so thank you once again for tuning in if you want to follow me on Twitter it's at G Young's NHL if you want to follow the show it is at tell it, Abs. it is on Twitter If you want to leave a nice review on Apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcast from I really would appreciate it as it does help out the show a lot but once again thank you so much for tuning in I have been your host Griffin Youngs and I will catch you all next time when we catch up with the guys at sodapod once again to talk about the Minnesota Wild, and I'm telling you guys, season's going to be here sooner than you think, so enjoy our time off while it lasts before we're thinking about hockey 24-7, and enjoy the rest of your week. I will catch you all next time.